Sisters, before I begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer? Dear Lord, in your mercy and grace, grant your Holy Spirit to inspire and so teach us so that we may come into relationship with God our Father and through Him offer all our prayers. So may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I'll give a moment to get the slides up. <clears throat> We've come to this reading in Luke chapter uh, 11, but I want to highlight uh, the position, the position in which this particular teaching on prayer is in this whole gospel uh, that Luke has done. It's quite important for us when we read the scriptures that we not just uh, pick and take the ones that we just like, but to actually see the gospel as an entirety or the, the Bible in its whole entirety. And so it's quite significant that when Luke was writing this and making this arrangement, uh, he writes in Luke chapter 10 towards the end and says this in verse 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Many books have been written and entire libraries have been written about what is this one thing that really matters. And uh, many have argued uh, various positions. But Luke also, in trying to lead on this particular thing, then goes on to this next passage talking about prayer. So we, we see this uh, beginning in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying and in a certain place when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, uh, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, it's kind of significant to understand why uh, Luke said this as John taught his uh, disciples. Because John the Baptist was a Jew and typical of the Jewish way of teaching, they would actually give you rote prayers. Uh, rote prayers are prayers that you actually recited. Uh, so quite common in Jewish uh, prayers are written prayers or prayers that go round and round and round. Uh, quite commonly, you'd see the Psalms being used as their prayers. Okay, so for us, the Lord's Prayer is a rote prayer, a prayer that is given to us which we say verbatim. Uh, some places you hear the Kiri Eliasson, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And then Kiri Eliasson, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. So those are uh, prayers that go round and round. Jesus did what they asked in the sense that he taught them a rote prayer, but he went further than that by teaching them, on top of that, two parables. And these two parables were supposed to teach about the substance and also the, the whole reason why we pray. Uh, the substance and the basis on which we are making this prayer. And I'll break it down as we go along. So firstly, uh, this whole idea of uh, prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 2 says, 
One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say. So he gives them uh, this formula, this rote prayer that they pray. Now the early church, although they were given this rote prayer, uh, they also used it as a structure, which therefore means that this is a model. Uh, a model of prayer, which means you can take and use it using different words. Now notice uh, several things. One, Jesus' uh, way of praying was so uh, compelling that when people saw him, they wanted to learn from him how he prayed. Have you ever had a situation where, uh, you know, people come to you and say, I'm impressed by the way you pray. Teach me how you pray. Would you like to leave that as a legacy for your children or your grandchildren? I've been privileged in attending some of our wake services and I've seen some of the grandchildren come up to me and say, one thing that I re remember about grandma or grandpa is that they would have a regular pattern on a particular part of the day, they would sit at their table, they would read their scriptures, and they would pray. And this is their pattern. I distinctly remember, as part of my heritage, my grandmother would pray. And I never understood what she would pray because she would speak in Puchao. All I knew at the end was the Amen. Amon, okay, <laughs> it's done. But it left an imprint in me that prayer was important. So, the, so by his example, uh, Jesus lived a life that demonstrated the importance of prayer. We know that for every major instance, and you could probably say almost every day in his life, Jesus was praying. And so by his action, he demonstrated the importance of prayer very visibly for his people. He prayed in private, uh, we know in the Markan account, early in the morning before everyone was awake, probably before the sun rose, he disappeared into the wilderness, into a lonely place, and he prayed. His disciples came looking for him, and uh, you know it was a full day. So when he has a full day, he spends even more time in prayer. Most of us, when we have a full day, we cut down. <laughs> on the amount of prayer that we do, but it's because we have a full day then we spend more time in prayer. You recall last week when I was teaching about how he chose his apostles, he did an overnight prayer vigil. He prayed the entire night before he appointed it. So for important decisions, decisions that have consequence for the rest of uh, the people, he prayed. And at many times, he would send his disciples away first after ministering to a large number of people, ascend the mountain and pray. Now, if we say Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our example and master, I sincerely want to ask you, how often do you take time to disappear and pray? Go for a prayer retreat, make it a usual pattern of your life that whenever you have a major decision, that you spend time in prayer rather than analyzing the statistics and all the decision permutations. Not to say that you don't. Jesus did it too. 
but that a significant priority should be given first in prayer. So we know that prayer was important because he modelled it, but also because he taught explicitly about this. In the same way that he taught about baptism, he also taught about the sacraments, he also taught about prayer. He actually gave a model prayer. So, you know, if you're a teacher and you're teaching, if you want your student to remember what is important, then you make a point of underlining and saying, this is important, memorise it. He gave it one, and from the early church until now, we still have this prayer and this pattern. So let me just uh, summarize what I just said. Uh, today, we don't have our bulletin, so the outline is not in there. We're hoping to try and get it in later on. Uh, but here, the first one I want to make is that it is important. The importance of prayer is in the fact that Jesus prayed as an example and as a pattern and that he also taught explicitly about prayer. He gave us a model of prayer. So dear friends, if this is not yet a pattern and a behavior, and you say, I am a Christ follower, then follow this pattern. I have found in my readings of biographies, I don't know whether you're a person who likes to read biographies. Occasionally, I am blessed by having a biography to read, and if you read the biographies of Wesley, John Wesley, Charles, uh, uh, John Sung, Sadhu Sundar Singh, uh, all the various revivals that occurred, all were triggered by prayer, one. And in all of these biographies, all of them, bar none, will always say, at the, towards the end of their life, I wish I had spent more time in prayer. Now, that's a staggering statement because what they're saying is rather than being busy and burning myself out or you know, lighting a candle on both ends and being an acetylene torch, the one that really moves mountains, prayer. Now, it's not to say we just uh, become hermits and lock ourselves up into a cave and just pray and pray and pray. Notice that Jesus prayed and then went out and did what he was called to do. And what he did was staggering. His work day was phenomenal. Whole day. Even all the way up to the night. So he came from a position of rest, a position of assurance and grace. You see, in prayer, we encounter God. And when we encounter God, we are reminded of how much he loves us and we respond from that. Quite often, we work the other way. We work like crazy, and then when we've got no other options, then we go and pray. I'm uh, out of choices, God. You need to save me. Notice the pattern that Jesus sets. Prayer first. And from that relationship and that discernment of what needs to happen, he becomes very focused in doing what God calls him to do. Moving on. Verses 2 and 4, I hope you have your Bibles open and you can read along with me. Uh, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, this is a shorter version from what Matthew covers in Matthew chapter 6. It's a shorter version. 
but it is essentially the same, very similar. But within this pattern, Jesus is already teaching about the substance of what we are praying for. Okay? Not just a substance, but he's also giving us uh, certain patterns of how this prayer needs to be done. Now, notice, um, sometimes I come, I go for camps, uh, and people ask me, Pastor, how do we pray? Can you give us a written prayer? Do I have to kneel or stand? Or do I have to prostrate myself? Do I go walking? Well, yeah. And the answer is, all of the above. <laughs> Jesus, when he was asked about prayer, remember, didn't say, okay, and when you pray, you must kneel in this particular way, with or without cushion. He didn't say you must stand and walk around and claim grounds or so forth. No. He was more intent with the conversation that will be happening spiritually and emotionally and mentally between you and God than it was about your particular physical position. I say this uh, as a corrective because some people say when you pray, you must put hand up. You don't put hand up, you've got no power, come. Uh, you know, there are various attitudes people have towards prayer. So let's go back to the text. The text basically says, when you pray, say this. And he's giving this model about what goes on spiritually between you and God. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm saying that if it helps you, by all means, go ahead. You know, for some, uh, for some of us, when we pray, there's a particular posture that we do that helps us. Now, if praying on your knees is very painful for you, don't. There's nothing that says you must be on your knees to do this. But the attitude behind how you stand or how you sit or how you prostrate yourself is important. So the outward forms are important in order to figure out the substance of what is going on inside of you. Have you ever had funny questions like this? A friend once come to me, Pastor, I do my quiet time inside the toilet. <laughs> Which means I also pray in the toilet. Is that okay? Uh? Again, it's not so much about the forms, but the substance. And for this person, the substance of it was, the toilet was his private personal space. It was to him the equivalent of the closet. And some people remark, say, oh, yo, you go toilet and all that, you know. And the guy's response was very cute as well. He said, God sees me in all my glory. <laughs> so whether I'm there or otherwise. But it was also true when they said, look, there are many places where you do this in a better way, right? Why do you leave it in this because you're busy and you've got no other time, so while you're doing your business, you do that? Isn't that therefore not giving due respect and priority to God? And so the guy was caught. Said, yeah, okay, fine. I'll find some time and set it aside. So the substance of what Jesus is saying, therefore, is set here. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Now, uh, 
I've tried to summarize this by using four P's. Uh, I'll, I'll summarize it later on. But the first P is a issue of posture. Posture, P-O-S-T-U-R-E. Is it a posture where I am feeling really proud and very arrogant about my position, very much like the Pharisee and the tax collector who were praying before God, where the Pharisee looks down on the tax collector, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this tax collector. It's a posture of humility and knowing your place. Why? Because when we begin this, it begins with Father, Abba. The Aramaic of it, Abba, is translated into the English uh, as a very uh, affectionate but respectful Papa, Abba, Father. And so the first posture is one where I am addressing not only the King of Kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the Creator of all of the universe, I am also approaching my Father. Do you ever gone to the Agong and tried to go and address Him? You, know, you won't be allowed near with a pole. Okay. Very far, whole protocol involved about this. But then as a child of God, we have privileges of access. We have ways of coming to the Father which are bypassing all the formality. And so the first address gives us this posture that we're coming to the Father and hallowed be His name. It is a petition of praise, you know, so the second P, our posture and our praise. In the traditional one that you remember in Matthew, it goes, Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, why does Matthew uh, particularly point out, Father in heaven? <laughs> Again, posture. He is so high, so separate from us, so holy and so above, and yet he wants you to speak to him. He calls you in this posture of humility to talk to him. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is an old way or old English word which is honor, reverence, respect, fear be to you. Okay, so it's a, it's a hallowed be your name. It's not just his name, Yahweh, but his character and his person. It is an entire posture of praise to one who is ultimately way above beyond. Recently, uh, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of uh, the landing on the moon. And there was this particular article that came out that uh, one of the astronauts who was out there, one of the first things that he did on the moon was celebrate communion. And not only that, on one of the days, he actually called up Houston and said, shall we spend a moment of time? And he read a passage from Psalms. When I consider the work of your hands that you would even consider me. And so in this prayer, we have this posture of humble gratitude towards God, but praise towards His hallowedness. Then comes the next one. Uh, give us day, each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone 
who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. It is our position uh, in this whole realm of thing. Why? Okay, you see that word, your kingdom come. Again, in the Matthew version that we often recite, the longer version, it goes, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that? It is essentially the same because when we say your kingdom come, his kingdom is arrived when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So we know that the kingdom of heaven arrives on earth when his will is done. Now, how does that affect us? It affects us in our understanding of our position in God's kingdom. In other words, we are in God's kingdom and those who are in God's kingdom say, your kingdom come. May your will be done. May my position be in your will. As it is in heaven, let it be in my heart that my position is rooted in where you want me to be. This is a, a very important concept uh, for us to try and grasp. Because when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we are essentially doing is also releasing all our great anxieties and fears to say, God, your will be done. In one of my relationships with a very close friend who had lost not only uh, you know, her husband at one point in life, but also her son, in a very short period of time, she said, you know, in all my prayers, my prayers were always, why God? Why? 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 And when the son also uh, was lost and missing, her petitions were related to save him, recover him, restore him. Very much in the same way that we all, when we pray about Pastor Raymond Ko, Amri Chetmat, uh, Hilmi, and Ruth, we, it's, it's, part of it is why, and the other part of it is, Lord, would you restore? But what this woman taught me about prayer, she said was, I've realized that prayer is not so much about me uh, petitioning God to get what I want, but for me to come into alignment with God's will. It was for her to come into the right position in understanding God's will and His kingdom. And so for all of us who are at times are wrestling with this huge issue, why God, why did you allow this? That's well and fine. We do that and God can take it. You can take your anger, you can take your bitterness, you read the Psalms. It is lament and cries out to God. But it, in this prayer is also the prayer where we begin to come into alignment with what God is doing. His next position, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, is the final P. Okay? Posture, praise, our position, and finally our petition. Two things that are petitioned for. Our greatest physical need. Give us this day our daily bread. Now that word daily in the Greek is a bit of an unusual word. It's not just bread for today, but bread 
provision for the now and the future. But it is just sufficient. It is not such a point that it's overwhelming that you have supply, oversupply. It's just enough. Our daily need. And it's not just about bread. It's your need. What are your physical needs? Shelter uh, and food. And then forgive us our sins. So the two great needs that a human has that he is called and taught by Jesus to ask this, uh, the, the Creator is our few, uh, physical human need, but also our need for forgiveness. One is the, the need for forgiveness, but the other one is lead us not into temptation, which is our spiritual need for God's guidance and presence in our lives. So these two physical needs, uh, two physical and spiritual needs are the two summaries of what is needed for you. So here's what it looks like. The substance of this prayer is our posture towards God and upward looking to God, uh, an upward looking of praise and worship to His hallowedness, a positional realignment in God's kingdom and will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then a petition to God as to what are our greatest physical and spiritual needs. Now, have you ever looked at your prayers? Have you ever gone to a prayer meeting and heard what we are praying for in our prayer meetings? So let me ask you now that you have uh, some remembrance of your most recent prayers. Are your prayers functional or relational? Are your prayers functional or relational? What's the difference? A functional prayer is one that says, Lord, I need you to do this. A, B, C, D, E. So and so is sick, please heal him. Right? The nation is in crisis, please sort that out. Okay. My wife is angry with me, please calm her down. You know, that's very functional. So when we talk about functional, it's when we ask things that are very like, specific towards, just sort this out, God. Right? But the relational prayer is a prayer that comes, that basically comes not so much in terms of the function, but in terms of a relationship. And that relational prayer is uh, deeper and harder to achieve. I'll give you an example. Uh, some people find it hard to pray for an hour. Then you encounter some people, they say, oh, I prayed two hours, three hours. Not that they're bragging. You just ask them and they say, two, three hours. They say, wow, you got a very long prayer list, is it? And his answer is no. Uh, the first 20 minutes to one hour is just spent for me to just be in the presence of God, to be silent and to rest in Him. I'll give you an example of what that looks like. If you have a functional conversation with your husband, your wife, your children, it will be something like this, go and take out the rubbish. Okay, it, the, you, you list it out. 
the dishes in the sink need to be washed. It's very functional. You tell them and you expect them to do this. But the relational one is where I'm sitting down with, with that person and there's a conversation going on. How was your day? What was good about this? You know, did you see this? Uh, it happened this morning. Here's a nice little thing that happened to me today. It's relational. It is not based on a function of what you can do for me, but it is in an enjoyment of the relationship with this other person. When you read the Lord's Prayer, it is in effect a structure for a relational format. It's our relationship with God, His position, our alignment and all that stuff. And that prayer for petition for things is a relational prayer that acknowledges that you are the source of my supply. And my trust is in you because I depend on you to come to me. Now, if your prayers are functional, then you only come to God when you need something. And that is maybe why many of us don't spend time in prayer. Because you've got your own provision. God has supplied you your bank account. He has supplied you the health that you need. And so because you have all these things, no, I need to pray. I've got no function for God to fulfill at this point in time. But if the purpose of your prayer is relational in the sense that I really need God, I, I, I need to know that He loves me and, uh, and, and we are in a relationship, He cares and He's ordering my steps and I'm receiving instructions for what's going to happen for the next few weeks. That is the primary source of a relationship infilling. That is the pure difference between a functional and a relational prayer. It is the difference between a 5-minute, 10-minute prayer list and a 2, 3, 4, 5-hour resting in God. Some people would say it's almost like a soaking, <laughs> just being with God in the companionship of that God. And for some of us, we may say it feels very awkward because uh, God very strange to me. I don't know how to talk to Him. Well, that's what Jesus was trying to tell them. And that's why Jesus spent huge amounts of time talking to God. His requests were very short. His requests were very short. Peace, be still. And the storm stopped. But so what does he do in the rest of the time? He's spending time with God. So our prayers not only form a functional portion, but it forms a bedrock of a relational sense with God. That's how you have this statement that says, uh, if you love me. <laughs> you know, the one who is a true follower of Christ and of God is one who loves God. And prayer is one of the primary expressions of that love. I dare say it again, you know. Prayer is one of the great expressions of love. And so for me, when we see the prayer life of a church, that's the true, real indication of whether the church loves God. When people come and the, and the congregation is big, you know, it's quite often because it's popular, uh, the activities and all the services, and you, you fill that in. 
But if they really love God, you will see them express it in their prayers. That's the stark truth about it. So Jesus taught as John taught. Here's the formula. Ta-da! Okay, you got that. But then he gives these two parables. And the two parables go deeper in trying to help us understand what it means. Edmund Chan, uh, one of the Bible scholars from Singapore, went further to explain, look, Jesus gave the formula, but he gave us not only that, the basis and the practice of prayer. Okay. Uh, not, uh, and, and the parables teach us what God's nature is towards prayer. So here's what that prayer is like. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Okay? And, and there's a dotted line there to indicate that uh, verses 6 and 7 are essentially an extension of that particular story. You're quite familiar with the story. You can read it in your time. But verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Okay? Many different words are used to express that. Your persistence, your, uh, your, your gung-ho-ness, or whatever you want to call it. Lah. It's the fact that you're so audacious. You, know? uh, you keep asking. Uh, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, it's important to understand how parables are written. Parables throw comparisons. Okay? It is an imaginative story that compares one against the other. The content of the parable itself is not meant to be the truth. What is often compared to is at the end where we have what we call an end stress. An end stress is a phrase, one sentence usually, that explains the purpose of the parable. Okay. And so far, it hasn't arrived there yet. He's giving this story and he says that you... Now, another thing about parables is parables are normally about person A, person B, you know, persons removed from you. But in this case, Jesus decides to use a parable that's personal. Suppose you have a friend. So it becomes to that person, okay, if I have a friend, yeah, I have a friend. If I go and ask him, lend me some loaves of bread, even if he were not my good friend, just because I'm annoying him, he will give lah, just go away lah, don't catch out me. He will give as long as I keep pestering. Then uh, it concludes with this thing. Uh, I say to you, okay, this is the first parable, I say to you, ask and you'll be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now it's the first parable, but it is not the ending. It is a continuation to a second parable. So in this first parable, Jesus is pretty much saying, this is how you basically pray. Ask, seek, knock. Now, how many of us, when we have a problem, we deal with the problem first? Only when you cannot solve the problem, then you go and like, oh, God, <laughs> I sasat already, jalan, I cannot, no more way to get out of this, now help me. And how many of us, because of our lack of faith, don't even think to ask, seek, or knock. 
some of the most audacious and crazy things that have happened in Malaysia as a result of God's movement was because someone decided to ask for it. Bishop Meritus Huayung, one of his favorite stories he would share is about the uh, barrio revival, uh, the change in the Lun Bawang and uh, the things that happened in East Malaysia. How did it start? Six students who decided to meet daily and start praying and they wanted to pray for revival. They came into repentance and they started praying and they started getting other people all on fire. Because what they were asking for was an audacious transformation in their community. There were drunkards, there was corruption, there was immorality. I think the things that we prayed for, for the recent election, were audacious. And many people thought it was impossible. They are so entrenched. But it was that crisis that brought people to pray. It was also brought about by all these issues against the use of special words that got the churches to start praying. And the audacity was it was, Lord, grant us freedom of religion. You're asking for that which is right and good and true. You're asking in accordance to the will of God. But when we fail to ask because we say, defeatist, ayah, no point lah. Don't bother, don't point then you're not asking and if you don't ask, therefore, you will never get. It continues on. And so in this, the practice of prayer, uh, Jesus puts across this question, you have a friend, suppose you have a friend, uh, because of your shameless audacity, he will give you as you need. So ask, seek, knock. Do you realize that this ask, seek, and knock in English is the acronym ASK? So one of the things about prayer is asking, but don't ask in a functional sense. Ask in a relational sense. You're my father. I trust that you are a good father and you love me. And what is good for me, you will give to me. And because you are all-seeing and all-knowing, what I ask for, if it is not in accordance to your will, I trust that if I don't get it, I rely on you. But, O oh Lord, justice and righteousness is what you desire for our nation. So if I keep asking for it, I know it will happen. See, if I ask for my, my uh, you know, if I ask for a Ferrari, <laughs> nothing righteous about this. In fact, very selfish. But if I'm asking for resources, and it has happened many times, brothers and sisters, I've asked for resources for a mission, I've asked for resources where we get people to do things, and it seems impossible. But because we ask, and in faith we trust, it happens. How many of you, when you pray, you act in faith that it will happen? And again, I'm not talking about all this uh, personal, I need this, I want this, and so forth. I'm asking more about when the prayer that you are asking for is in God's will for righteousness, justice, and truth, and provision for the poor and the needy. And you put yourself on the line. It will happen. 
I prayed once for a ministry to begin in an orang asli kampung where the only access was balak roads, timber roads, muddy, raining season. In a church where no one had ever gone into the interior before. No four-wheel drives. So we discerned and he said, God says, go, I want you to go here. So we prayed, we asked for it. Asked around the church, anybody willing to lend us their four-wheel drive? Zero. I said, Lord, we go in, what do you want us to do? Send doctors. Ha! <laughs> Ask doctors to go in. They're going to take leave and go. Ask. So we put up and said, how many doctors? Four doctors replied. No, sorry, two. At first, two. He said, two can. I said, can. But there are people there, almost 2,000 people. How can two doctors deal with 2,000 people? Then he said, if doctors go in, we need to supply medicine, right? How are we going to get medicine? Ask. Here's what happened, you know. Close to five days before the day when we were supposed to leave, still no four-wheel drives, but people were beginning to sign up. And close to about 25 people out of zero, Sunny said, we're going. How are you going to transport 25 people into the kampong? Pray like crazy, and then one day, a phone call came and said, Hi, uh, we are a bunch of four-wheel drive enthusiasts and we heard from one of your friends that you guys are going in to do a piece of work in this Orang Asli Kampong. We've not been there before, but we'd like to help you. Say, how many four-wheel drives can you, uh, can you supply? Well, how many you want? I said, we got a lot of barang. He said, don't worry, we'll bring it in. But we don't have enough space for this. Don't worry, we'll take you in, drop you off there, and then we'll go off and do our own thing. Then we asked the doctors, doctors, uh, how much money do you need for medicine? He said, nah, no need. We have. We have supply, we will sponsor our own. You know, their suppliers gave them a lot of medicine. Said, you know, you're doing good stuff. These are medication which is nearing expiry date but still usable for at least one more year. Go ahead, take it. And they raised up 5,000 on their own. The night before, the two nights before, raining like crazy. We pray like crazy. <laughs> Rain stopped. And when we got there, roads were clear. Now, if I had gone on the basis of, Lord, I won't move unless you do something, that trip would not have happened. We had to make a commitment and say we will go. Story is often put, you know, uh, if a farmer, which one displays more faith? You have more faith when uh, you have a farmer who prays for rain and then waits for the rain to happen before he digs his, digs his farm and plants his seed. Or is it one who, in faith, prays for rain, then goes out, digs, and plants the seed. Because if the rain doesn't come, the seed will die. Obviously, the one who acts in faith. Ask, seek, knock. And the reason why I say this is because the next portion of the parable explains why. You know, it says, ask. I have a dog uh, Faith, uh, dog's name is Faith, whose habit is every time you are ready about to eat your meal, he'll come and put his paws on my, my knee and give that look. He said, ask. 
Some of you don't like dogs, so I give you a cat picture. <laughs> but the very thing about prayer is it's an ask. It's not a demand. It's an ask. You know I love you. You know I'd like to share in this with you. Would you? How many times when someone asks of you with the right posture, with the right position, with the right praise, and the right petition, out of compassion, we respond. That's how God does it to us. But He goes even further. And this is the next parable which, give us, uh, which Jesus gives, which is shocking. Okay? Because uh, snakes and scorpions are unclean. Right? So for the Jewish person, this is doubly... Okay? For us, it's like, don't like, but this is doubly unclean. He says this, which of you fathers, so now he addresses the fathers, which of you fathers, you who are fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Why these two comparisons? Well, because fish and snake sometimes look very similar. Uh, scorpions sometimes look a bit like a snake. Uh, sorry, scorpions sometimes look like eggs too. Uh, why, why would you ask for something and then give something similar but is poisonous? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to ask to those who ask Him? Now, this supplies the basis of our prayer and is a double conclusion for the two parables. If you go and ask your friend, and you're audacious enough to, give, you know, to, to keep asking, and He will give. Now you're going to ask your father, who is not like your friend, how much more don't you think that He will immediately get up and want to give you what you want? So what is the basis of prayer? The basis of prayer... Uh, is this understanding that we have a father who wants to give us. He did not withhold his son for us. And he says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your father in heaven give to you? But, remember the basis of this prayer, right? If you approach God in a functional way, which means to say, this is my function. I want you to function in this way. That's not how that prayer is working. Because the end of it is Jesus ends with this. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of Him? The Holy Spirit is a category of relationship with God. It is the Creator, not the Creator. It is the relationship, not the thing. And so the answer that is given to us is, our answer to prayer is that God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us His presence. Not the things that we ask for, not necessarily, but He gives us this relationship with God in order that we would have Him. Now many of you will wrestle with this because some of you says really... Uh, I wish he just healed me, or I wish he just healed my mom or my dad, or I wish he just provide for my needs. 
But that's not what saves you. That might relieve you for a period of time and feed your need or your desire. But what is of greater importance for your eternal salvation is God. And when we read this in light with what Mary uh, was uh, doing, only one thing is needed. Prayer brings us to this one thing that is needed, God. The presence of God in our lives which comes to us through Christ. And it gives to those who ask Him. I've been reading the New Testament, you know, and in all the New Testament, all the disciples are martyred at some point. But none of them make this prayer, Oh Lord, please change my circumstances. None. Jesus also, at the most of what he said, Lord, uh, if, you, you know, if you're able to take, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will. Positional alignment in relationship with God rather than what I want. That's the essence of that prayer. Let me conclude. Um, what are the postures of prayer that you are taking on? Are you coming to God in a relational uh, relationship with God, asking for God to be uh, part of it? Or are you asking Him purely from a functional point of view? I don't want the relationship. I only want the relationship in so far as to what I can get out of you. That's a big shift in your understanding and our understanding. Two, do you have a regular rhythm? Are you practicing a regular rhythm to prayer such that you're leaving an imprint not just on your own soul and your own spirit but on your children and your children's children, on your friends too who see you at prayer? Our church, thankfully, has quite a number of prayer meetings. So if you don't know, uh, next week when you come, have a look at the bulletin or just ask the church office. On Thursdays at 8.30, we pray. There's a group of people that pray at Bethel, 8.30 till 10. And we pray and intercede for many things related to the church. It's a very close and uh, wonderful time when they pray together. On Tuesdays at 3 p.m., there's a group of people who meet during the day because this group says, we can't come at night, but daytime they will pray. So Tuesdays at 3 p.m., there's a group of people that meet in our solid rock and they pray. And if you look at our bulletin, there is this thing called uh, LPW, Lighthouse Prayer Watchman. Throughout the week in different houses, people are meeting in prayer. So there is a regular rhythm, like a heartbeat that's going on in the church. Why don't you be a part of that heartbeat and join one? Or if you find it hard to join one, start one. Remember, it took six people to bring about the burial revival. Many revivals by a core of people who decided they wanted to make it a regular rhythm, like a heartbeat uh, to pray. There's one other group that meets on Sundays, before, during, after service at the back in our prayer room. Some of you, what? We got a prayer room? <laughs> yes, we do, at the back. 
So join them. Or join your small group who will regularly pray about some of these things. Three, when you pray, remember the basis of that prayer. How much more your Father in Heaven, a good Father, wants to give you what is good for you. But when you ask, make sure you're asking for the right thing. Because when you ask what He wishes, then persevere in asking and it will happen. If you're praying for the salvation of your parents, your family, your children, that's what He desires. Don't give up on that. But God wants them to come to this faith, not just convert them blindly like that. Fourthly, yielded to the Holy Spirit, which means, uh, you know, when you give and you say, Lord, I need, and God freely gives you this Holy Spirit, the next step then is to not just continue on your knees and keep on praying and praying and praying and not acting on it. You need to be like Jesus who in the power of the Holy Spirit went forth and acted out in faith. Your faith is a result of prayerful action. It is restored in that way. Let us pray. Lord, in your mercy, help us to be a people who come to you knowing the importance of prayer. But we acknowledge, Lord, that many times we take it for granted and we fail to come to speak to you and make it a rhythm. Help us, Lord, to find that moment of divine mystery where we come before you and acknowledge our need uh, to be with you. And Lord, will you strengthen my dear brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would be a people of prayer and cover our churches in prayer for each other. We ask this, Lord, as we ask you to draw us near. In Jesus' name, amen.